Welcome to our podcast, Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. We're three very proud geek dads and we're here to talk all things technology, gaming, science fiction and more. In this episode, we're focusing on the topic of midlife crisis, discussing projects and purchases. Plus, we have an exclusive interview with Meiku founder, Ben Redford. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. I'm Robbie. Hi, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Dave. So according to Wikipedia, a midlife crisis is a transition of identity and self-confidence that can occur in a middle-aged individual, typically aged 45 to 55. (laughs) So while I've still got a fair few years to go yet, you guys are both in peak crisis territory. Have you you hit it yet? I think so, mate. um, It happens to us all, doesn't it? It's... uh... It's that realisation that your life is slipping away, you're no longer young and there's things that you wanted to do and you've not done, like I've not jumped out of a plane yet and I've always wanted to do skydiving and my sister, who's a couple of years older than me, has done two skydives now and I did a bungee jump um, when I was 20, I think, and I always said I'd go back and do another one, but I haven't had a chance to do that yet either. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, just, you know, I, I don't know, Dave, maybe you feel the same. It's just there's something in my... Maybe it's like a, a little clock ticking away that's reminding you that you're not quite as agile and as young as you used to be and you should be doing all these things that you've not got around to doing well i i certainly feel the age and certainly all of a sudden it's uh you know just getting up from the sofa and the knees go clunk <laughs> and all this kind of stuff yeah making yeah, feel that noises yeah, yeah. See, the, see the interesting thing is, is midlife crisis implies that you've kind of grown up and then you're kind of reverting almost and i feel like i've never actually properly grown up so um so so there's so there's an interesting question so robbie read out midlife crisis so uh so midlife crisis could be two things couldn't it it could be um doing something that uh, is something that belongs to somebody who's younger yeah um and making yourself look at what's it doing it or there's always the other definition (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, or there's the other definition, which is which is um, taking up a hobby or some kind of pastime, yeah. fully expecting that this is going to be the the next greatest thing in your life, and you do it twice and then forget about it. And that's what I find is being the age I am and and being able to afford things that I couldn't necessarily afford when I was twenty. That maybe taking up some of those hobbies that's an expensive pastime you take up these things or you, you might take up these things and you think oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to be, this is going to define the second half of my life and you do it twice and you've got 2000 quids worth of stuff lying around that you can't touch yeah. again. I mean, there's always that danger, but um, I, I, mm, I don't know. I've, I have, I have a few things that I've done that maybe should have been done when I was younger. So I was uh, back in the day, I had a sports car, I had an MR2 Oh yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, that was, I mean, it was great. It was Mark II, MR2. Was it red? One. It wasn't. It was black. <laughs> it was black. So at least I had some kind of self self control, um, and it and it was great. I loved it. But then I've always enjoyed driving cars, so it, it wasn't really a big thing. Um, and then I've got I've got my my guitars, my music, and and I go through phases of this. So it's not necessarily just midlife, but I go through phases of. Maybe I just listen to one piece of music and I think, ah, oh, brilliant! I'd love to be able to play that. <laughs> and I start practicing, and then I start having these these wonderful dreams. I I should find a band and we should go playing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and you find that as a as an aging bass guitar player, you've got two choices. 
you either find another group of middle-aged so-and-sos who are growing in the middle and getting a bit fuzzy-headed and then all of a sudden you're you're into that very sad territory of a, of a bunch of 48 50 year olds trying to relive their youth uh with guitars but the, the paunch is getting in the way of the um of the the full kiss outfit yeah or so the alternative is do i then go and find a band here i am 48 years old with a, a bass guitar that's more more expensive than really I ought to have because I'm not that good. Than a car. Do I go and find yeah. a band of twenty-year-olds who are living the whole rock and roll lifestyle? And there's me saying, "Well, I need to get home at eleven because I've got to get the kids up for school tomorrow morning." <laughs> yeah. So this, yeah. this, which, which do I do? And and that to me is a crisis. So I always go through this cycle of I start playing, I start practicing, thinking this is brilliant. Why don't I do this more? And then the, the minute you start thinking about getting a band, and then all of a sudden reality hits you fairly in the back of the neck. And you think, I can't do that. I'm either too fat and too old to keep up with the youngsters, or do I really want to hang around with another bunch of people like me? Yeah, I've seen a nice version of that actually not long ago. It was at um, bonfire night last year, and I went to a big 360 degree firework display in Leicester, and they had a band on beforehand, and I thought they were really, really good, and they were playing all the old sort of ska music, and it really yeah. didn't oh, yeah. it didn't quite fit because they were all about 14 or 15. And then it clicked to me straight away when I looked to my right and clearly their parents were stood there strumming every <laughs> chord with them and singing every word <laughs> along with them. And that was there. Obviously, they decided at some point, we can't do this anymore, but we can get our kids into this. And they were yeah, really, like really new good. Scar. They're, you know um, what they, they was it Blink One Eight Two like they were like one of the pioneers of like the new era of punk weren't they You know maybe these guys yeah. are going to kind of bring in the new era they're of really scar for the twenties. Mm. Have a look on Facebook. They're called Subculture. They are a really really good little band. But um, yeah, it did make me laugh when I seen their dads and their mums. They were they were yeah. really enjoying it. Two tone <laughs> for the twenty first century. Exactly. Oh, oh yeah. God! You know, so, well, so well, you're talking about your your kind of relived youth, Dave. I um, cars, I guess. I I used to mess about with cars when I was younger, and I remember one of the cars that I got uh, when I was a student. Actually, I got a mini, and there was a guy who lived behind my um, my girlfriend's, or who's my now my wife actually, uh, who lived behind my uh, in-laws, and he had a like a, a 1982 mini city, and it was a uh, mint mint condition. It hardly been driven. It was automatic. And I basically acquired that, and I dropped out the um, the transmission. Actually, dropped out the whole engine and gearbox, and replaced it with a manual gearbox and en- and engine, and put on some mini light alloys, and then pimped it up with a big stereo and stuff, and drove that around with a massive, great big Pico exhaust on the back, making a right old racket. And <laughs> you know, I think, you know what? I really want to do that again. I really want to get myself like a mini, and do something relive the kind of. Um, uh, what's the name of the film? Flipping L that's got you know, Italian supposed to play the bloody doors off Italian job, yes, <laughs> and relive that. But uh, I used to buy Max Power magazine, and I was building car stereos. I used to like build subwoofers uh, out of um, MDF. So you create a box out of MDF, uh, put like a, a tube in it, which is basically a bit of drain pipe, and then put some acoustic cloth around it, wrap it together. Uh, and wire it up to a couple of amps and a crossover unit. And uh, I had a head unit in my car that it was was uh, it was a tape deck, blimey. It was before CDs, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it had one of those removable plates as well so that no one could nick it. And uh, in fact, I think I had to upgrade. Yeah, I had to upgrade the alternator because it used to drain the battery, these two amps, even when you were driving <laughs> along, right? <laughs> just, just like... And actually, I wasn't, made wasn't it a mini, slower. Wasn't a mini a six-volt vehicle to start with? 
I, I, no, I think it was a regular it, kind of 12-volt mini battery, but I mean, I, maybe I, the old I old might have got that wrong. It shows how much I know about cars. Well, but um, I mean, this was when, I mean, this car had like points, right? It didn't, it wasn't electronic. It was, it, it was old. And, but you know, it, it was such a great laugh. And I'm thinking I'd love to do, have you seen these um, car rallies like Bangers to Barcelona or the oh, Mongol yeah. Rally? Oh. You know what? I mean, they do. They I, do an Italian job rally. Apparently, you, you, do a bunch they? Of people drive drive minis down to Italy. Yeah. Oh, you know, which would that be a would laugh. Be great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember actually I was in 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 Paris a few years ago for a long weekend with my wife, and uh, we were just crossing the Champs Elysees, and then all these sort of pimped up cars came down, but they'd actually got bits of cardboard and they'd modelled all like aerofoils and skirts and anti stereos <laughs> going. <laughs> And it was, and they'd like hand painted it. It was brilliant. I thought, you know what? I want to do that. I want to get myself like an old mini, and and pimp it up. Put a CB radio in it. <laughs> you know, get a big stereo. Um, oh, it'd just be brilliant. I, I would really love to do that and, and modify it. You know, a bit like pimp my ride, but you know, not quite so sophisticated. You should do it. Yeah, do it at the other end of the scale. Go for the see if you can get the cheapest car you can find and see how far it can get you. Because I've seen something I was reading last year. In fact, I think it was around the the football in the Champions League final, and there was Liverpool oh, fans who managed to yeah. find a car for it was forty five pounds they paid for it, and they drove <laughs> it all the way to. It got them around all the away games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I follow this guy on Facebook. He's a travel writer. He's named Simon something. I know exactly who you mean, and it is really good. They literally pay forty quid for that car, don't they? And yeah. they all get down there and back in it. And it, yeah, it is great, you know, um, but it's a bit like, say, the bangers to Barcelona or they used to do Staples to Naples, Staples Corner in London, down to Naples in Italy. And you literally, it's like a big cannonball run type rally where you get a bunch of people and it's not really a race. Well, it is and it isn't, you know, but it's more about that. You know, they go in convoy and they stop and they have parties every night. And uh, I'm probably too old for that. I'll be in bed by 10, Dave, like you, mate. See, see that's so, the thing. I love the idea of it. But I could, A, I couldn't keep up with the lifestyle because, you know, you want, you want a decent amount of sleep. Secondly, I would be useless when it came to fixing the cars. I mean, to, to quote Oddball out of Kelly's Heroes, I don't I just ride them. I don't know what makes them work. Um, much to the fact that, you know, I've married into a family who, who owned a garage and they're all, you know, both my brothers-in-law are fitters. My father-in-law is a mechanic. He, he knows, you know, everything about yeah. cars. I, I can barely change the oil. So I love the idea. <laughs> But I can't, you know, I can't actually bring myself to, to doing it. That that falls into that category of here is something I'm going to go and spend a lot of money on doing. And then I yeah. turn, turn the spanner twice and go, that's defeated me. That's enough of that. Go and have a cup of tea. That's fine. <laughs> but, you know, older cars are easiest. I mean, I'm not a mechanic either. I mean, I used to service my own cars and change the oil and upgrade the spark plugs, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And But now it's all electronics, right? So, I mean, you open oh, yeah. the bonnet of my car and you look underneath and it's a hybrid and it's just like i wouldn't know where to start the whole thing's sealed in anyway you can't even get to oh, the yeah, engine totally. or even the plugs or anything yeah. it's just completely they crazy, make it but... very difficult to get anything oh yeah they they yeah. do uh, you know and you've got to take the whole car apart just to get to like a component that's sort of at the front of the grill you know and so i i i would love you know to do that and i think half the excitement is it is, is that thing breaking down right and then you try and fix <laughs> yeah. it you know um but you're right you do need somebody with a bit of mechanics knowledge and i know one or two guys actually that we could probably tag along and uh, and take with us but what an adventure eh? i mean the mongo you know the mongol rally sorry for example that that goes across well mongolia and all through europe and mongolia into russia yeah. and um and wow i mean there's a guy at the office actually in our london office he uh, he did it uh, this See this year, well, last year, I guess now, last year, 
and he had a whale of a time uh, and he just bought i think it was a, like a mini metro uh, rubbishy old thing that you know really old and uh, it got them through <laughs> Mm. You know where they were going, but this sounds yeah. like a, a geeks. We are your father's challenge coming up here. Yeah, <laughs> see how far we can get across Europe. But obviously, being fathers, we have to take our children, so we need to find an old bus <laughs> because it's Summer always holiday. much more difficult yeah. trying to fix it at the side of the road while there's a child at you saying, "Are we going yet? Are we going yet?" Yeah, a lot yeah. of Weaver Estate or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, not quite the midlife crisis dream car, that is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're saying that Larders, my, my father in law was, uh, when he had a garage, he was actually a Larder dealer. So he oh, right. he was a, a, a bona fide, he had the franchise, bought Larders, sold Larders for many years. And um, I mean, they, they were ridiculously dirt cheap. So there, there was a place for them. You, know, you, you can take the Mickey out of Larders, but they were, you know, they were functional. You could fix them with a hammer and a spanner, and you basically were there. But the funniest story he used to tell was about, he used to get, this is back in the, the 80s, whilst the, the Iron Curtain was still up, he used to get phone calls during the week, and this swarthy Russian voice on the other end said, you have larder. Yeah, we've got larders. Yeah, I mean, we've got some second-hand larders. We come by larder. And the next thing you know, these couple of big guys off some of the, the ships out in, in Felix Day. So these Russian guys, they'd come in on the ship, they come and bring a big wedge of folding money, and they drive away. Of money. Yeah. Well, very nearly. They drive away in the second-hand larder, and they disappear. And then a couple of months later, you get another phone call. You have larder, and it, it was some time before he worked out exactly what was happening. These guys were taking the larders. They were driving them to the ship in Felixdale or Lowestoft or wherever they docked. They take a crane and dump the larder onto the ship, and they'd spend the trip between Felixdale and Mamansk or wherever they were going, stripping the bits off uh, wow. for spares, because it was worth more in spares in Russia than it was as a car. You're kidding. So apparently there is, on the, on the, the floor, on the sea floor of the North Sea, there's this trail of dead larder carcasses between Felixstowe and Mamansk, because <laughs> apparently this happened all the time. He chats to the other larder dealers. Oh, yeah, we get their phone calls. So these guys are... Because it was, you know, oh, wow. a window, the window glass... And the seats and a couple of the bits of the you know the piping and whatever that was more worth more than taking the whole car back. Oh my goodness! I mean that's a bit like um, if you you know Land Rovers, the old Land Rovers now. Oh yeah. You can't get them, but but people literally because they, they just bolt the panels or so they nick them and they unbolt mm. everything. <laughs> they, yeah. They're worth more for spares, aren't they? It's like a oh, oh yeah. my gosh, that's incredible. But do you remember what was your first car, Robbie? Would you buy? What was your first? I car? had a Rover, a Rover two one four. Oh, yeah, I remember. Those I had one of them actually, GTI version. Until I um, <laughs> until I completely messed up the suspension going straight over a roundabout stupidly at one point. Trying to do a jigs of hazard. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. Oh daft. my goodness. Well, what about you, Dave? What was your first? Oh, uh, I was I was boring. I, I when I bought my first car, they'd started out with these um, flexible payments. You paid lower per month than the balloon payment at the end. So my first car was actually a brand new Vauxhall Corsa. Oh, so I, I never car, I never went through this whole um, uh, clunkers and, and um, wrecks. Oh, my brother out, was, well, my brother was the one. He had he had a a string of minis and uh, he had a he had a old Granada at one point. He had a, a Maxi Austin Maxi at one point. Um, I'm told he was in the Navy was my brother and he knew lots of people. I'm told at one point he had, I think it was a Renault four and he killed it on the Bovington tank course. Um, so he was, he was the one that went in for the, the clunkers and the, um, and the, the wrecks and used to try and do them up. I was much more boring. 
Yeah, oh. my brother was a bit like that. I remember he had a an Astra as his first car, but it was a yeah. very, very old model. I, th- I th- yeah. think my granddad bought it at an auction for him. And the, yeah. the seats looked like aeroplane seats. You had to pull the string <laughs> to get the seats to go back. And it didn't even have a radio that worked in it. So he used to actually have a, a handheld radio that he would just put on his passenger seat and play cassettes through just so that he could have music while he was... I still thought he looked cool while he was driving to school. But, uh, uh, yeah. That I, was, that was I had one of those, actually. I had a, my first car was a Mark One Astra, a bit like probably that what your brother had, Robbie. It was a one point. The square one, the one that was yeah. designed with a ruler. Yes! <laughs> had awful brown seats it was terrible <laughs> and uh i don't even know i think it did have a cassette in it a very very basic one but yeah it it, it was awful that was my first car and then my wife my wife who, who actually i met at, at uh, sixth form originally uh she used to drive around in a 1303 a 1972 volkswagen beetle uh, which was completely souped up and she had a beautiful car but i mean that was i mean that was so noisy you could hear it coming from like a mile away uh, but she used to have a problem with the demister. So she used to have a, like a portable ha- uh, hair dryer. She used to demist the window <laughs> and dryer. And um, you could actually at one point see through the floor, the floor plan, because it all rusted away. So one of the corners, I mean, I mean, it did pass the MSE luckily. But yeah, I mean, she'd really done that. We used to go to like the Beetle rallies and stuff. But I was still into my... That was when I got into minis actually just after that because... Well, much as I like Volkswagens, I actually preferred Minis better. So she, I was like into Minis, she's into uh, her Volkswagen Beetles and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, over the years, I've had oh, all kinds of cars, you know, and probably more than I can remember. But most of them, you know, you, know, you, you buy them cheap, you, you run them into the ground, and yeah. then you buy another one, right? But it's always the surprise ones that you remember. Because I, I used to love, I had a little Saxo VTR Turbo, and it was like a go-kart. I loved it. And you could drive it around anywhere and it had great speed for the size of it. But that was the one that I really enjoyed driving. And then I've kind of I worked my way up that I always wanted a, an Audi Q5. And I managed wow, to yeah. get one a year, just over a year ago. And it's great. And I, I love driving it. But there's still times I would love to go out, back out in the Saxo again. Yeah, they just like I mean they they were a great little boy racers car. I mean I I I had um, I say say various cars and they're just so much fun i mean i just tinkering around with them and you know i had car stereos that are worth more than the car you know it was <laughs> yeah. just it was just you know really fun times and I, I do i do miss those days but i don't unfortunately have a lot of space out where i live now you know i'd love to get another little car but i'd soon get moaned at i think if i left it out the front of the house or uh, on the lane or whatever but so, yeah, like the, one the guy day, that we used to work with pete rick he used to have at least oh, yeah. two cars on the go at all times in his it did <laughs> And then two or three scooters or Lambrettas in there as well. His, I don't know how his wife managed to put up with that. But he would just, his answer to everything was, I just bought two of them and I welded them together. <laughs> oh, okay, then. <laughs> no, I won't be buying that off you, Rick. Oh, do you know, the, the best car that I had, I think I bought um, a, it was a, not an Audi, it was a Volkswagen Polo that had a full body kit on it. And it was... <laughs> pearl white it had matching wheels at a full back sunroof and the skirt on it was so low i couldn't go over speed bumps more than about two miles an hour <laughs> and um and a mate of mine he had an rs turbo um which he had nicked about literally five or six times so they just kept nicking it and he had all the you know he even had a thing on his driveway that pulled up to try and you know stop people driving away but they would just get an angle grinder and take it off or whatever but uh that thing was amazing you know he had that that was super fast and he you know 
uh, oh, that was at the time when there was sort of quite a lot of um, street racing and stuff up near yeah. Stotley Park. Not all from where you are, Dave, actually near you. Um, yeah, it is, yeah, it's just there. The and there was a lot of street racing in the 90s up there. But wow, I mean, yeah, I mean, today, I just don't think kids go through that. They do what you've done, Dave. They get their little black box and they get a new car and they yeah, pay Yeah, cheaper insurance. Yeah, because they, they, yeah, I remember as well, when I was younger, it was always sort of the B, local B&Q car park was the go and race around a couple of lorries that were parked <laughs> in the middle. Whereas now, if they want to race, they just play a game and it's I all know. on the computer. Well, it's, yeah, true I mean, it is a lot safer, in fairness. I definitely wouldn't be moaning about that with my kids. I'd much rather they played it on, the, on there. But it was a great time when you were, when you were younger and you'd spent yeah. so long trying to get your car fast and then you'd just <laughs> left for, for dust or somebody else is just speeding up ahead of you. But I've yeah, got to say, I'm getting a new good. picture of Pete in my head than, you know, I, Pete, I've known you for, what, no, 16 years now. Um, I had no idea that you were one of those floppy head boy races in the, back in the day. Mate, I will send you some pictures of my car, that I, one of my, my polo, for example. Yeah, I did have, I did have the curtains haircut and the, uh, yeah, you know. That's that, a big that's step, it. Pete, from there to the, with the whole idea of the milk float. What oh. ever happened to that? Well, so Dave, you may not know this, but I've got this, you know, milk floats in the 70s. Anyone younger than about 30 probably know what a milk float is, but I would love to get a milk float, pimp it up and then drive it from London to Paris, go around the Arc de Triomphe and then off down to somewhere the south of France and on to Spain. And I, I, I got inspiration actually from some guys. It was a Radio 4 programme a few years ago and it was called Three Men in a Float. And they basically uh, got a milk float, an old milk float from the 70s, 60s and 70s. And um, they basically drove it from Lowestoft to Land's End. Guess how long it took them to do it? Lowestoft to Land's End. How long do you think it took them to do it? Oh, that? it's going to be weeks at, at three miles an hour, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it took them a month, right? Literally <laughs> 15 miles per hour top speed, 25, I think it went 25 miles a day. Now, bearing in mind, I mean, this was a few years ago, um, you, you can't just plug this thing into the mains, right? So you've got to either go to like a forklift truck depot to charge this thing up, or they made friends with people along the way. And actually, um, if you know anything about electrics in your house, if you've got a cooker, it's a 32 amp socket. Right. Okay, so you can, they were wiring in positive and negative to people's cooker sockets, right? They weren't taking them off the wall <laughs> and they were charging this thing up. And then, uh, oh, it's just great. I don't know whether the, the the TV, or sorry, the radio series is available, but there is a book. It's say it's called. I think it's called Three Men in a Float. And um, the guy who was doing the um, electrics, he was an Indian guy, and he said there's two ways to, to do electrics. There's the English way, and there's the Indian way. And the Indian way was basically yeah, taking the 32 amp socket off and plugging in the. Uh, <laughs> and, and having been to India, France, <laughs> yeah. is, is, is your French good enough? Bonjour, monsieur. Oh, bonjour, monsieur. I want to yeah. plug this into your cooker. Just an Englishman <laughs> shouting at the door, plug this in cooker. Please. So, um, yeah, so I've got an idea to do that. I'd love to do it, even if you put on some solar panels trying to extend the range. And because Tesla's come along now, it's bought the whole thing, right? They want to do a million mile battery, don't they now, right? So, I mean, where's the fun in yeah. that? Yeah, where's, um, where's the fun? Yeah, it was big lead acid batteries in the bottom of a milk float yeah it's kind yeah. of been bypassed isn't it nowadays yeah but to drive around the Arc de Triomphe in a in a 1960s milk float would just be absolutely amazing you know I've, I've walked around the Arc de Triomphe I wouldn't want to drive around there in a tank well yeah I, I must admit I've never driven around it but if I do get me um me mini pimped up or whatever that'll be the first place I go I think down the Champs-Élysées around the Arc de Triomphe I want your first time to be in the milk float Pete while you're dropping off <laughs> dropping off pints of semi-skimmed on the way 
So, uh, yeah, well, the other way you could do it, uh, you could do it on a mobility scooter, couldn't you? There's the other thing I thought you could do an adventure on a mobility scooters and see how far you could get, you know. Um, but uh, Again, that's another one of the Colin Firth specials, isn't it? Didn't you get oh, did it? I know he picked one up. To, was it about 45 miles an hour? Something yeah. like that? No, I think that. it was 100. I think he thought it was 100. He got a world record, that didn't he? I, I, knew he got, I think he got so. It fast. <laughs> it was on, that one made it on to Top Gear at the time. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, we made yeah, the land speeder out of the golf buggy as well. He's the man to have on this project. <laughs> oh, golf buggy! Yeah, that's another thing you could do, isn't it? So, uh, but yeah, so you know, crazy adventures, midlife crisis adventures, right? Milk floats. <laughs> I've got a feeling Nipped this one cars. is definitely one to be continued. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that sound means it's time for our special guest interview, and this week, friend of the podcast, Alison Hutchins, has been speaking to Ben Redford. I'm delighted today to be joined by someone I always love having a catch-up with, Ben Redford, the co-founder of Meiku, whose product, the Formbox, is a really versatile desktop vacuum forming machine, which has opened the technology up to makers everywhere. Firstly, thank you for taking the time to catch up today, Ben. My pleasure. For the benefit of our listeners, can you just explain a little bit about yourself and how you first became interested in making things? So, yeah, my name's Ben. I started Meku with my business partner about five years ago now with this sort of dream to democratise manufacturing and build the world's first desktop factory. So we saw a lot of people making 3D printers, but not a lot of the other... uh, manufacturing processes that you might find in larger scale factories overseas. So we decided we'd go on this mission to, to build the world's first desktop factory and connect them all together. Uh, and that's how Meiku was born. And base, I got into making things. I can't really remember a time when I wasn't into making stuff. I was like, I think, yeah, I was just one of those kids that was always drawing or or building things um and i think that just that just carried on and carried on um you know i think one of my earliest memories of being at nursery is like painting a painting a house or something i think <laughs> um and then yeah as i got older i got i got more and more into it uh and i was very lucky uh, to work on some of the very early uh tim burton models for his early films uh, so Nightmare Before Christmas um, and A Corpse Bride, uh, the actual workshop that made them was about 10, 15 minutes walk from my house. Uh, so I went. I used to sort of go and harass them uh, until they let me come and do some work experience. And then I think that was my first job when I was about 14, um, which was really fun. So that's, that's probably how I got into making. And then, yeah, it just seemed to be a bit of a, a natural progression from there. Wow, Tim Burton, that's a bit of a claim to fame. I, uh, we've never touched on this before, but I'm I'm a massive Tim Burton fan, um, kind of bar Planet of the Apes. That's, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> anyhow, <Right. laughs> digress. Um, so obviously you had the idea and you've got a very entrepreneurial spirit anyway. Mm-hmm. You then went on to run a really successful Kickstarter campaign to gain the initial yeah. funding for Meiku. But this wasn't your first Kickstarter, was it? 
No, no, it was actually, uh, what was it, my third, I think? And Well, yeah, th- third personally, I guess. Um, and then I sort of consulted uh, on some and just sort of run some, helped, helped some people run some. Um, the first one, as, as you would as you would expect, is a complete uh, commercial failure, um, and thank God it was. Uh, it was a it was an internet internet connected smelly robot uh, called Ollie um, or Ollie Factory, and it was an open source uh, Twitter based sort of little robot with a face on the front of it that, uh, depending on your Twitter activity, would produce smells in the air around you so uh you know if you got a uh you know a nice a nice tweet off your of your partner then a, a smell of roses might be released into the air and then if you got you know a, a tweet off your ex-partner maybe like a smell of a smell of rubbish would be released into the air it's completely ridiculous uh so we we put it on kickstarter with not a real not any clue of how to manufacture it uh or how much it was it would feasibly cost. Um, my first job out of uni, uh, a very interesting agency called Mint Digital, who were very kind enough to sort of give me the opportunity and the safety net to be doing quite sort of weird experimental stuff back then, when Kickstarter was just in the US as well, uh, and they had a US office. Uh, and it wasn't doing so well, so we made Polly uh, to, to complement Ollie, and Polly gave you sweets for your tweets. So she would release a gumball. She had the same form factor and sort of general kind of personality as, as Ollie. And she would release gumballs based on your Twitter activity. Um, and yeah, like annoyingly, they, they didn't they, they didn't get funded, but they did end up uh, winning Young the Ideal Home Show Young Inventor of the Year Award, um, which is obviously very, very prestigious. And it was, we then went, as part of that, we went on to Sunday Brunch, which is Sunday terrible hangover television, um, live. And we took Ollie on there and Polly um, to to show that why, why we'd won this sort of Young Inventor of the Year competition. Um, and we put in, I think it was the, the hashtag that they asked for li- on live TV, and it ended up trending worldwide for about eight hours, um, which was quite exciting. But it got so big that it started sort of trending with uh, pornography spam bots attached to it as well. So it would have my uh, my company's name, Mint Digital, with uh, some porn spam bots attached to the end of it as well. Uh, so I sort of went into the office on, on Monday morning after live TV at Sunday brunch um, to, to sort of mixed applause, I guess. Um, very happy with the publicity, but not, not too happy with the, uh, the sort of porn hashtags that, that followed it up. But it was quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, my, my second Kickstarter was with Mid Digital as well. And that was a tiny little Instagram projector called Projectio. Uh, and that was actually really, well pretty successful did really well um i found a company in in the u.s who could turn digital files into 35 millimeter slide film so sort of backwards to what you'd expect um instead of digitizing files they took digital files and made them into old school film 
uh, and I got really interested in it because I just loved taking, I've always loved taking stuff apart, which I think is a, a fairly similar trait of a lot of makers or, or product people. Um, and yeah, I just sort of worked out that you could probably make one of these old slide projectors with the modern sort of LEDs, you could probably make them tiny. Um, so I stuck, I think it was like a five by five millimeter Instagram uh, picture in front of one of these, on, on one of these slide films, which this company in the US managed to prototype for me. Um, and I put one into this into this little LED and I can remember being in my bedroom and, and lighting it up and seeing this thing sort of throw onto the wall about a meter and a half by a meter and a half in like beautiful clarity with really rich colors. Um, so yeah, we, we put that on Kickstarter, um, made it look sort of like a miniature, really old school kind of uh, like classic Dieter Ram style design. Um, it did really well and that was really fun. Um, but yeah, uh, shortly after that, uh, I was actually, when I was, when I was manufacturing the Projectio, I was in China and was out in these factories and realized that they were using vacuum formers, massive ones, um, to make molds and to make product prototyping, uh, much faster and to, yeah, to, to make the packaging, blister packaging as well. So it was a very versatile machine, and that's when it sort of clicked. Um, and I'd built <laughs> I'd built a vacuum form before uh, when I was about fourteen, um, just out of like a Hoover and you know a bit of tape and some wood. And so I sort of I think that's when it clicked, and I decided when I when I got home and Projectio was all manufactured and and sort of selling uh, that I would start making and make the form boxes the the first one. Uh, so yeah, I got back and quit my job and managed and sort of built the first prototype and managed to convince my business partner, Alex, uh, to leave mid digital as well. Um, after sort of showing him this prototype and sort of that was, that was the beginning. How difficult was the decision to leave behind the security of a job to focus fully on getting your own business up and running? <laughs> uh, well it was easy because I was stupid <laughs> at the time I think that was uh, um, I think that's one of the I, I don't I think it, I've got a kid now and I'm I'm, sort of, I'm, not, I'm not settled but you know I've got like a, a part I've got responsibilities but I think one of the uh, one of the benefits of sort of naivety uh, is that you just you you do stuff that would be considered really brave, but you don't really understand what you're doing. Um, and so I think it would be a lot harder for me to do it now. Uh, but then the flip side of that is that I can't ever imagine myself working for someone else. So yeah, ho hope, hopefully Meku continues to work and, and everything's all right. But yeah, the decision was actually weirdly, weirdly easy. Um, and I think I think that was massive. I think that was also massively thanks thanks to to Kickstarter um, and those platforms. Because whereas before you needed a lot of capital to invest in tooling and to you know to to actually get a product out into the world, um, and with Kickstarter you could you could test ideas really quickly, um, physical ideas really quickly, which is what excited me because 
I, I sort of cut my teeth in my first job was in uh, out of uni was in a in a digital agency and digital agency and the the general tech world are very good at building something very quickly and testing it you know the whole idea of an MVP um, and so I sort of had that in my head of being like okay so that's how they build websites in this way that refines them very quickly how can we do that with products because you know to, to make a product is very expensive and I think at the time you had a quite a nice sort of conflict, like a, a mishmash of two separate worlds coming together, which was you could 3D print stuff and prototype stuff very quickly. Um, and you could, and you had this way of then putting with Kickstarter of, of putting that prototype out into the digital world and saying, you know what, we're trying to build this. This is how much money we need for it. Um, if we don't get that money, great because it means that there's no demand for it and we're not wasting our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's basically how we approached it. We were, we were like, you know, let's give a few things a shot. There was, I had a list on my, on my wall in my shed. Um, and the form box was the first one just purely because I'd, I'd made one before when I was young and it, it seemed like something that I could feasibly do. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a trained engineer. I'm not, you know, I, I, I sort of put stuff into production before, um, but it was it was just exciting, you know, and it and it seemed to it seemed to align with my own values and my own sort of uh, beliefs about about how sort of manufacturing could be. Um, even though a vacuum former is a it's a pretty simple device, it was like that's a that's a really good place to start. So, it, yeah, it didn't it didn't really even crossed my mind that much at the time to jump ship to jump ship and start my own thing i think five years later i'd, I'd think about that very differently <laughs> um, i'm sure my partner would too but uh she you know she's been very supportive so i can't i can't complain you guys at, at Meku used the the shared office space at the makeversity at somerset house mm. how did that give you a bit of a hand up in getting started so uh, it was a, it was another one of those things. So I sat next to the girlfriend of the found one of the founders of Makeiversity um, when I was at Mint Digital. She was a freelance designer there, and we were talking about me, you know, in hushed in hushed tones about me leaving and starting my own thing. And she said, "You should you should talk you should talk to Joe." Um, and so I did. Um, and when I first got to make university, there was nothing in there. They just got the keys basically. Um, and so they, I mean, they gave me free rent for the first six months um, for with a, a, with a space and an address in, in strand. So <laughs> it really helped give us the leg up in terms of it made us, it made us sound really, uh, really special to have like a W1 postcode and, <laughs> and like strand london on your address but um yeah i mean we were ba- it was basically like a big basement with uh just like space to make stuff i mean it sounds ridiculous but that's actually quite it's quite rare in london um there's it, it, there's a lot more sort of digitally tech heavy scenes here and a lot more clean spaces uh it's quite hard to apart from sort of the hack space in in east london um there's a lot more now, you know, there's building blocks HQ, but that's out like that's out in Walthamstow. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more messy spaces, but at the time 
that was really that was really something um that was valuable to us is just have that sort of space where there was a couple of machines and just the the space and opportunity to do kind of weird stuff um and also just like you know the community that that were in makerversity and the people who passed through it it's that kind of like coffee coffee shop vibe of the or tea house vibe of the sort of early 90 late 1800s um there was just always so many interesting people there uh that you could as a as a sort of you know not not really knowing what you're doing it was always easy to just go and go and grab someone that did and just be like you know can you tell me how to solder that or like i remember one guy there he was an engineer he's an incredible guy um called leck and I was chatting to him one day and he was just telling me how he he was the guy that basically built the uh I can't remember which part it was. It was like one of the parts of the Batmobile um bike for the like the real stunts that they did. Um and I was just completely blown away. Um and you know, he helped a lot with the the design of, a, of actually of a of a roto molder because we built a roto molder at the same time as we built a a vacuum former. But um, we never launched because we were sort of we had them both fairly well done actually. Uh, and I think it was about two weeks or three weeks before the Kickstarter campaign, and we were just like, "It's really stupid to try and launch two things at the same time when you don't really know what you're doing." Um, and so yeah, we 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 killed the Rotomolder, but he was instrumental in in helping us build it. Did you ever feel a little bit out of your depth in that kind of environment when you didn't have an engineering background as such? I think it's always good to feel a little bit out of your depth, to be honest. You know, you want to just you want to go just over the edge. So you're sort of teetering. I always find that's the best and the easiest way to learn. Um, or for, for me, it is anyway. Just I think, that, you know, the support networks that we've had along the way have always been really, really, really useful. Um and, and and very instrumental now in, in helping us and especially our investors as well like we get a lot of help and advice from them um, but they're just like I think that's just something that you can't really sort of define or put your finger on sometimes it's just the, those people that you have around you and you how, how confident you feel in, in yourself and I think most of the time like back then especially it was definitely a sort of uh not not ignorance is bliss but that i think not not knowing led you to to not be fearful um of it so there was there was never much discomfort um yeah i, I don't know i've always i've always sort of straddled the line between kind of like having a bit of a technical brain and a bit of a sort of artist slash illustrator um product designer type as well so i think yeah i think it's it's quite comfortable actually to to sit in that in that space and be able to look at it from both sides um because yeah it it tends to you know if you if you need to if you need if you need knowledge on something you can go and ask someone um or you just try it for yourself and if it messes up it messes up finally Mm -hmm. what's next on the horizon for (laughs) meiku So we're building our next machine um, at the moment, which I at once can't contain my excitement for, but also can't actually talk about annoyingly. 
um, because we're doing something very exciting and, and very uh, secret because it's new and it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a new process um, that we've sort of developed in-house, um, which is incredibly cool. And we're aiming to launch that probably sort of uh, March, April 2021. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to sort of navigate the the pandemic. Factor, factories and pandemics are, are quite interesting. Um, so we're just trying to sort of navigate through that. And then, yeah, hopefully you'll you'll hear more. But again, that'll be open to pre-orders, guys, as it would be. <laughs> so, yeah, you should hear about that very soon. Right, brilliant. Well, I really hope that I am actually the first person to hear about that. (laughs) That would be really cool. Absolutely. Thanks (laughs) Thanks ever so much for taking the time to catch up today, Ben. Always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure's mine. So normally at this time of the show, we would all agree to disagree about a geeky subject. But today, we're going for a slight change as I test my fellow hosts in our midlife Christ quiz. Bad pun, (laughs) sorry about that. So researchers recently polled a thousand men aged 40 and over to find out what it's like to go through a midlife crisis. And I've got a list in front of me of the top 10 things and activities that men in the UK (laughs) have bought during a midlife crisis. You I've probably both... got me on my shed of shame, Robbie, right? Without I'll bet a doubt. Got yeah. <laughs> you will both have three chances each to guess something that features in that top ten list, and the person okay. who gets the most correct answers will be awarded a Design Spark Mid-Lifetime Achievement Award. Okay. If it's a tie, then we'll go to sudden death and we'll see who's crowned the winner. So, Dave, heads or tails to see who goes first? Okay, tails. Heads. Okay. It's on okay. you. Okay. So, name one of the top 10 things that men buy during a midlife crisis. I think I'm going to go for racing bikes, like road racing bike, middle-aged men in Lycra running around in their races uh, or riding around in their races. I think that's got to be pretty high. So, so an overweight Tour de France type thing? Well, yes! <laughs> oh, God. Not me, I'm a mountain biker. But yeah. You might be surprised to know that a new expensive bike actually only makes it to number 19 on the list. It doesn't You're make the kidding top 10. me. Really? Wow. Really. Okay. Okay. You'd have been better off saying something else, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's fine, because, I, I mean, I pay people good money not to have to go out in Lycra. I mean, it's I, <laughs> you don't. It's something you don't want to see. <laughs> so, Dave, what's your first guess? Well, I, my first guess would be, uh, it's got to be top of the list, two wheels, motorbike. I'm not interested in myself, but, but motorbike must be up there. So normal bike, cycling bike was not on there, but a motorbike does make it in at number five. So that's a, an early lead for Dave. Only so number five though. Fifth. Surely that's yeah. Isn't, isn't that you know? Isn't that the top? I don't know. Surely that'd be the top of this. Anyway. Hasn't made it top. Okay, but you have got one. So one nil to Dave. Oh wow. Okay. So Pete, <laughs> you need this one to level. Right. So what would I buy as a middle-aged man that's not oh, more blimey? It's a difficult one. Well, I'm going to go with um, games console. Games console has sneaked just in there at number 10. So mm. an Xbox, PlayStation slash games console. And the new PS5 is being leaked this week. So It's this week, next week, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So hopefully we'll, we'll all be able to buy one of those soon enough. Yeah, that'd be good. So 1-1. One, one. Dave. Okay. 
can you right, really but, take but the lead? Maybe it's maybe it's back to what I know. It's an electric guitar. An electric guitar. Does that make it on there? No, it doesn't. No, not no. at all. A musical instrument is only number eighteen on the list. Okay, it doesn't make it into the top ten. Okay, I've got another one then. So all How to play about... for. So I guess the the traditional midlife crisis is a red sports car, isn't it? So yeah. we'll go with we'll go with sports car of some sort. So that's the one that I would definitely think of when we say midlife crisis, and I think it's what we've just talked about for the last. <laughs> 25 minutes yeah. <laughs> yeah it only makes it to number three but oh, you are on the list three so dave you need this to level it up Come and on. take it to sudden oh, death this, this is getting tricky because everything that i thought would be surefire top of the list is is oh heavens what is um all right this is a bit a bit out of left field um surfboard doesn't make the list no <laughs> i just sold mine <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, that's the end of the midlife crisis just, no it's alright I've been doing that for years no because I need a new one did you sell it to a guy <laughs> now the truth comes out <laughs> so in backwards oh. order so 10 was the games console which you had number 9 was a gym membership oh of course yeah, number 8 was a trip travelling around the world okay. number 7 was a new tattoo Oh, oh right. Okay. Yeah. Six was tickets to a concert or gig. Number five was the motorbike again, which you had. Number four was designer clothes. Number three was a sports car. Number two, which I thought one of you would have got, was a new gadget. And <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit random, though. Isn't it, it is a bit. It's a bit vague, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. number one is a holiday. Really? Yeah. Really? So that's not midlife crisis, surely. Okay. Unless you go and bungee jumping where you're going. Or if you're, in New Zealand. Yeah. If you're a 65-year-old heading off to Ibiza for the weekend, then I suppose you could see that. You're not, well. you're midlife crisis midlife not a 65. You don't live to your 140 <laughs> well, depends. odd, do you? you? Who knows? Things are changing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just my bad maths. One man that was polled actually said that he blamed his midlife crisis for buying a £2,000 Armani suit. Another said they'd spent £70,000 on a car. And one midlife crisiser even bought an £1,800 Albino Python. What? So, yeah, all That's sorts true. in there. Okay. I, I was going to say, you know, reliving the leather jacket phase, but thats I don't know if that comes under the heading of designer clothes, but but um, middle-aged men in leather pants is, is something that, that <laughs> does, is, it's not a mental image that I want to dwell on. <laughs> no. So now it's time for our final section of the show as we each put forward our nominations for Geek of the Week. Each of us nominates one person who deserves the title and then we all agree on the winner. So Pete, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, so um, I guess on the on the theme of tech, I was uh, reading the BBC website this week and they were talking about um, people who are, uh, especially during this lockdown period, about gadgets they're still using that are like really old. Uh, and there was all kinds of things from like toasters to sewing machines and all that kind of stuff. And then I stumbled across this guy who was mentioned in it called Martin Mander. And he's got a really cool uh, YouTube channel called Old Tech New Spec. And what he basically does is he takes old kind of gadgets and he kind of pimps them up and gives them kind of a bit of a modern twist. So he uh, does all kind of things with um, games consoles or... Um, 
well, toasters and um, he does uses raspberry pies and he's just created some really awesome things. So you should go and check out his site. But um, there's like a, for example, an old dial uh, dial phone in there, and he's um, kind of pimped that up with LEDs and but uh, and made it into a into a timer. So it's just it's just really cool some of the stuff he's done. Uh, so go and check that out. He's uh, he's called Martin Manda, old tech, new spec, and uh, middle aged guy himself. Does some really cool things. Yeah. So he's going to be my uh, my nomination uh, for this week. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out because although, well, maybe I am going through a midlife crisis. Maybe it just means my life expectancy is shorter. But I've been spending the last few weeks of lockdown building a, a pub in my garage since the pubs oh, have yeah. closed. So I want to get it all ready just in time for the new football season starting in a couple of weeks. And I've been doing exactly that. So I've been looking at how can I take some of the old things from a pub and make a new version of them. So using Raspberry Pi, I've done the whole games console um, side of sort of like an arcade machine to put in the pub. Um, but then the next thing I'm trying to work on now is to create a, a small jukebox that I can then run using oh, Spotify yeah. or for MP3s through the Raspberry Pi. Um, and I've seen a few different um, approaches to it and I've worked on a couple so far, but nothing's worked properly as I want it to yet. I'll have a search through what Martin does as well and see how he can, how he goes about some of the things he does because that might help me. Yeah. What about you then, Dave? Well, I've I've been reading a lot about space. We've been talking about Apollo recently, and I've been reading books, so I'm on a bit of a space kick, if you see what I mean. And I know we've talked about astronauts before as geeks of the mm. week. Pete came up with one, I think, on our first show, but I read something. Uh, today actually about a lady called Kathy Sullivan who was the first woman to, to make a spacewalk uh, yes. involved in the, the NASA she's yeah. now just been the first woman to go to the deepest point in the ocean the Challenger Deep which is uh, 10, 10 kilometres straight down something like that um, and I've got a little boy who's nine years old and he's interested in science and so the idea of the Challenger Deep and the, the deepest point of the oceans is something we've talked about We've been, you know, we've looked at a map of where is the deepest point in the ocean. Um, so this is a lady who's 68. If we're talking about midlife crisis and, and <laughs> the best of your life behind you, here's a lady who's 68 years old. She's just done the Challenger Deep after having been an astronaut and a technology leader and the first woman to do a spacewalk. That's pretty geeky to me. I think I think she deserves some kind of recognition for being for being the first person to do both. She's actually cool. the first nominee that we've had that I've actually got a Lego figure of her looking at me right now, which is very strange. Outstanding. You've got because, a Lego figure, really? Yeah, because my, so my daughter's got one of the um, Lego, there's a Lego set that's women of NASA. And yes, she's featured as, as one of the characters on there. So very I've actually cool. got that Lego figure sitting, staring at me right now while you were talking about it. But yeah, that's a, a really good nomination. Um, my nomination really selfishly this week is McDonald's. Because they finally <laughs> reopened their drive-throughs all across the country, albeit with a twenty-five-pound order cap, which is probably good for my bank balance. But um, our house has had two very happy children this week, and probably two even happier adults. So um, it's not quite in the normal geek style, but they are definitely the geeks of the fast food world. And uh, <laughs> yeah, my nomination is McDonald's because I've I've been able to think of little else most of this week. <laughs> how else did you queue how long did you queue for to get that so the day that it actually opened um we we got a tip off that it it was open despite them saying that it was only available for takeaway so we thought let's be clever and get up there before everybody finds out about it but we were still queued for half an hour just to get into the drive-through 
Um, but then I went, I took the kids at the weekend and it, we got straight in. So it, it's calmed down quite quickly. Um, but I do know that some people were driving half an hour, 40 minutes to restaurants that were open when the ones weren't open in their own towns. So um, I never quite reached that level. I just waited until they, they opened, but I've definitely made made the most of it in the, the week since. Did you see that just on the on the drive through thing I was reading? I'm sure I read it somewhere about um, how you could potentially be fined for using contactless payments on your phone going through a drive through because you're you're using a mobile device whilst at the wheel. Wow, yeah, I mean, it I sounds a bit crazy, really? right? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that. I mean, surely, I can't remember where I read it, but you're thinking, you know, actually, that is some kind of stupid law that actually somebody might try and fine you for. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm um, not sure how it works because I suppose on the other side of that is you're on a, you're not on a public road, are you? It's private property when you're in a good point. in the drive-through. Yeah. So I suppose oh. there, there might be a way around it. But, on uh, top of that, news. what's more dangerous, yeah. just handing your phone over to make it beep, or rooting around in the glove compartment trying to find the chain? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially at the moment, they're not even taking cash, are they? So no, it's a case no, of true enough. What's cash? I, I don't even use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. you did go for a while without using it, Pete. That's when I thought you were having your midlife right. crisis. Was that time when you decided to take the year without yeah. spending any cash? Do you know what? I forgot about that, and I because I got I actually got six months in, and it was this was I mean now I could do it no problem. This was like three years ago, um, and did I write? I think I wrote on LinkedIn about it. But yeah, literally, I I started January the first, and I said I'm not going to spend any cash, and it was quite early on with contactless payments, and I didn't actually have my phone enabled. I didn't have NFC on my phone at the time or my watch, which I couldn't now pay with. But it was it was. I think it's really easy if you're not a parent because being a dad and a you know a parent and having to pay things just at school like you're going to the school fate and having to use cash at the school fate or mm. um, or giving them a bit of pocket money to go and buy something or you know it's just no substitute for that. But I mean, I think as a as an adult with no kids, you could have done it quite easily. Especially in a city, I think it would be yeah. much oh, easier to do Apple Pay and all that. Absolutely. But where I actually failed again is um, it's just like little things like going out to the seaside and having an ice cream and none of these places they they'll take cash so we did cheat a bit because when we went my wife ended up paying for it but i had nothing so although <laughs> i wasn't spending the cash i thought well I, it is cheating a bit but if my wife's buying the kids ice creams i'm not going to have one and i'm not going to spend the money so i kind of cheated that way but also we went to um there's a, a place up the road from us it's like a like a hippie commune i guess you could call it it's where um the rolling stones used to hang out in the 60s it's called um uh, Brazier's Park I think uh, and it's kind of like a living hippie commune and they teach like they do all kinds of courses and stuff it's an amazing place and it's all self self-sustainable but they every year run a May Day Fair unfortunately not this year because of the, the COVID-19 situation but they have this amazing local beer and, and, and hand-reared pork and, and sausages I ended up I needed some food and a beer and I just ended up parting with cash at that so I got <laughs> six months in and and, and buckled it was just getting too complicated so but i reckon i could do it now no problem not a problem at all well i think the world is is getting more set up for it anyway because of the situation more people are want you to get to that point so if you tried it now i think you could probably go pretty much the year without without worrying about it. even your ice cream van is getting towards that point are they not especially well, now they, yeah. yeah they are you know what one thing i've got as well i've got this little thing called a ping it Right, and it sits on it's it's actually on my watch, which has got NFC in it. But it's it's actually a Barclays thing. It's like a little um, chip that looks like it's been cut out of your card, and it goes onto a little um, 
thing that I slip onto my watch strap. And and it's like almost you load money onto it and you and it's contactless anywhere that takes contactless payment takes it. So it's great for kids. So I gave my kids these for a while before they got um, their own bank accounts and cards. And you can literally, yeah, just contactless payment stuff. Um, and I think up to the same value of whatever it is, that's 45 quid now, isn't it? But um, yeah, And it only lets you spend what's on it. So if you lose it, you've got the app and you can control it. But, you, you know, if someone nicks it, you know, they're not going to nick your bank card or anything. It's, they're really quite cool. So I've always got that on my watch. And I often use that to pay for stuff because my NFC enabled watch on my Garmin, I have to go into a menu and turn it on with a pin and then zap it, which is absolutely useless if you're trying to do something in a hurry, like go through the tube or whatever. So uh, yeah, they're really good. If, if, you've, if you've got kids and you want to give them contactless payments, look at, yeah, look at Ping It, P-I-N. I'm going to go look for that. G-I-T, that Ping It. Oh, and it's really, really cool. And so you just literally set an app, you load money onto it, and then they can literally spend it. You know, and you can see what they're spending and where they're spending it. Uh, and it's all digital. So you don't have to worry about cash or um, or you know or losing it. And if you do lose it, you can just I think you can just switch it off. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Check it cool. out. And I'm and I'm sure your kids are just like mine. That the ability to pay for something themselves is that's a real big thing for them, isn't it? Yeah. I remember what it was like when I was given money and I could go and buy something myself. Have you not? Yeah. Have your kids not got the Go Henry thing, Dave? But that we do. We do. We don't use it much. Yeah, it's a good concept, but it's never quite as good that, well, especially at the moment, they can't spend it on anything anyway. Exactly. It's handy yeah. for birthdays and things because people can just transfer money over without having yeah. to put cash in cards. But yeah, that, that's the thing again, as you said, Pete, you, you can get away with most things. It's those little traditional things like putting money in birthday cards and stuff like that that you kind of have yeah. to get out of a habit of. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you do a whip brown for somebody who's having a baby or it's <laughs> they're leaving? Yeah. Or, but to be you fair, could, you, know, no, you could. You can do it all through PayPal and it would be just as easy. The last time we, I remember at work, we'd do a collection every year at Christmas for homeless shelter. And um, this oh, yeah, year course, we, yeah. we did one and a lot of people were saying, I haven't got any cash. Have you got a card machine? And we're thinking, well, at the first time we thought as if we're going to have a card machine. But by the end of the third day that we'd been in the canteen speaking to people, we thought actually next year, it probably is worth us having a card machine because people will just pay a pound or two pounds or five pounds on their card because it's yeah, you, you're used to being able to do it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so Geek of the Week. Um, who's going to get it this week? My well, vote yeah. is for Kathy, I think. I think how yeah. that's absolutely incredible, especially, as you said, at, at the age she's at, to still be doing things that most of us would never even dream of being able exactly. to do. Exactly, yeah. No, I'd agree. I think Kathy Sullivan is, is is an inspiration, you know, having been an astronaut and now and now doing these challenges. It just goes to show you that kind of, you know, age age isn't a barrier, you know, so you, you can do these crazy things. I think if you're you're fit and healthy and you've got the right mindset, then uh, yeah, I, I would I would go with Kathy too. That's such like an amazing story. So cool. McDonald's is difficult to beat and I'm definitely <laughs> gonna be checking out some of Martin's videos, but this week's Geek of the Week is Kathy Sullivan. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please do three things. Subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, leave us a review and share it with a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, head to designspot.com forward slash podcasts and we'll see you all again in the next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. See you soon.